As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. I am Ari Wasserman. I'm about eight days into eating less than 2,000 calories in a day, and I ate my life every day. Um, but the good news is, is that I've got one of my closest friends, I think, peers, mentors. I don't know how to, I don't say it. We're Doug friends. Maurice We're from friends, Kings man. of the North podcast. We're, we're friends. Um, but we work together, if you are unfamiliar with my past, before The Athletic for many years at cleveland.com uh, covering Ohio State. And he has now recently started a national podcast as well that I think is very good. It's one of my favorite listens every week, Kings of the North. Doug, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. I'm always great when I'm with you, Ari. Yeah. Well, it's really good to have you back. And, and um, you know, two times in, in about a week is, is really good. We're going to have a pretty deep show today. First, when I asked Doug to come onto the show, it was kind of a home and home. I went on Kings of the North last week to discuss recruiting and um, how my viewpoint of who can win a national championship has shifted after what Michigan did last week. Um, but since he has so many years covering Ohio State as perspective, it was only right that Ohio State had every single significant college football story over the weekend happen. Uh, new athletic directors, some big-time transfers, we're going to get into that. We're also going to get into what Michigan did. How did Michigan win a national championship? Um, and how uh, other teams in the northern part of the country can duplicate that. And if you're unfamiliar, Doug, why don't you tell people about your premise on, on Kings of the North and how that's going to play into who can win a national championship in that discussion. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we started this show Kings of the North and then the North rose up and Michigan and Washington played for a national title. But I do think that, that Washington and Michigan went about it very differently this year. And Washington was really about being old. Right, Washington, 31 of their top 35 guys were fourth, fifth, and sixth-year players. I think they had 10 or 11 sixth-year players. While Michigan, yes, was experienced and kept some guys with NIL a year ago, but also I thought was pretty talented, right? Like uh, Will Johnson, pretty talented. Uh, Mason Graham, pretty talented. J.J. McCarthy, pretty talented. Blake Korn, pretty talented. So, So their story to me still started with talent and then retaining that, not a ton of third-year guys, which is how, how places like Ohio State and Bama and Georgia do it, third-year talent, but still talent first. So then who can be teams in the North? I think that formula works better for the North, which you and I agree on that. 
mm-hmm. the three years and out to the NFL, that's tough. That's a small world. Talent, but hold on to that talent a little bit longer. That expands the world, I think. And I think especially in the North, that expands the world of teams that have a chance to win it. But it was nice as we started a show about Northern college football that the North rose to the moment. So thank you to Michigan and Washington. Yeah, and as we get into that segment too, we're going to we're gonna look into uh, what other teams in the Northern part of the country can duplicate what Michigan did going into the future. Uh, later on into the show, we're going to have Scott Docterman, our Iowa beat writer, Big Ten expert on the show, to discuss Caden Proctor coming to uh, Iowa Five-star offensive lineman transfer from Alabama going to Iowa. Beth Getz finally being hired as the athletic director. Their offensive coordinator search. And then, of course, we're going to get into a 10- or 15-minute discussion about the Big Ten's new hierarchy, which will be a nice little um, secondary piece to the Northern conversation that we're having. So first, uh, let me formally welcome everybody to the latest edition of Until Saturday. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please help the show by dropping a five-star review. If you drop a five-star review, we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. I promise you guys we are going to be better about getting to questions. If we have time today, we will do so as well. Um, Subscribe to the Until Saturday YouTube channel. If you're not watching live right now, um, that's an option for you. If you're a podcast listener and you'd like to see shorter clips, breaking news, um, all sorts of live videos that we're going to do into the offseason, that's where you can find it. The links to both the YouTube channel and the podcast can be found in both shows' descriptions. Um, And lastly, leave us a voicemail on the Until Saturday phone line for future mailbags, 316-462-9852. Uh, 316-462-9852. You can text that number as well, but we will certainly rather just hear your voice because your presence, your opinions, and uh, your vocal cords are important to us in the show. Feels good to have you guys on. All right, Doug, Ohio State. Mm. Uh, What? So for people who are living under a rock, they got Caleb Downs over the weekend. They got Julian Sayan over the weekend, both of whom were five-star prospects. Ohio State very much wanted Caleb Downs during the uh, recruiting process. He now is probably going to be a first-round pick, the best pure non-quarterback portal prospect, I think, of all time in the portal era. And then, of course, getting a five-star freshman to come in to battle Aaron Nolan is kind of outside of the realm of what I was expecting and what they've done in the past. They retain their entire defense. They have a new athletic director. They have a new offensive coordinator. Uh <laughs> Is this just desperation mode, Doug? Like, what's your perception of what's going on at Ohio State during this offseason? Well, it's very interesting because you could look at Ohio State one way and say, two seasons ago, they lost to the eventual national champion because they missed a field goal at the end of the game. And this season, they lost to the eventual national champion by playing Michigan down to the final minute, and they can't protect, and Kyle McCord throws an interception on a pass to Marvin Harrison. If they hit that, who knows? So, like, they in one way, right there, right there, They're literally right there with the last two national champions. And on the other hand, they got to fix stuff, brother, right? Like, come on. (laughs) Like, is this, this is not good enough. So it is a very interesting analysis. I think, I think like desperation is, I don't know, maybe slightly too strong of a word, but I've been saying it's a line in the sand, right? When you lose to Michigan for the third straight time, and then you follow that up with the, an embarrassing bowl performance against Missouri, it's like, okay, anything that you were thinking about of maybe we need to do this better becomes we must do this better. So this was a maybe to must transition. That applies to 
firing unqualified assistant coaches and bringing in somebody with the resume like Bill O'Brien. That applies to being much more aggressive in the transfer portal than they have been before. Even the fact that they went out and got the Alabama center, Seth McLaughlin, like right away when the season ended, before the Alabama portal explosion, right? They were more aggressive in the portal than they've ever been. And then being more aggressive, I think with NIL, with roster retention, with 10 to 12 guys who had NFL possibilities, probably not first rounders. I still don't think you keep first rounders with NIL money, but they kept a bunch of like second through sixth rounders in school. So in all those ways, if, if you were holding back before, it's like, what are we waiting for? Like both as a program and as Ryan day, because I'm not going to say Ryan day's on the hot seat, but like you can't lose to Michigan four years in a row. So then you've got to put all your cards on the table. And even Ryan Day giving up play calling now by hiring Bill O'Brien, he's no longer going to call plays. That was a maybe that turned into a must. So is it desperate? They're probably too good to be desperate, right? Like they're Mm. not flailing, but they've been right there and not able to get over the top and win the games that matter. So yeah, the, the fact that they did not reach their goals I think, push them to this point. I am uh, accused of, and I'm probably guilty of having Ohio State brain from all the years I had on the beat, working with you and Bill Landis and all the great guys down there. Um, it's my viewpoint of Ohio State. Just us. Yeah, it's just you two. I don't you know don't why. Praise forget anybody else. Why forget the that? rest of the beat. Yeah. You don't um, mean it. You don't mean it. It's just but us. I, d- I do. Th- it is really just you guys. Um, I have a really hard time with this discussion sometimes because I thought that was a really interesting thing of like desperation. Like to me, in my viewpoint, I think maybe I've always been more dramatic than you, but like losing to Michigan three years in a row and watching your arch rival win a national championship in part of your, because of your deficiencies is the literal definition of, of being desperate in Columbus. And then when you frame it the other way, um, you're actually, you're actually right. So you have a wonderful thing on your podcast that I admire very much, which is a texting texting service where you allow people to interact with the show. You do polls, you have a community, and you send out polls. From before we get back into the portal discussion, I am I wanted to ask you this: um, from your data collected, not from Twitter people, not from message board right. people, but from regular fans who listen to the show and interact with you in your polls. How do you think those Ohio State fans view the current climate of the program? And is it less drastic than desperation from what you found? So it's not like 80%. I call, we do have a good thing going there. And, and it's just, we, you know, it's a, it's a nice focus group that I call it, that it's dedicated, educated, loyal fans who really care because you got to pay money. So it's different than a Twitter poll. There's no trolls. People pay six bucks a month. You're not going to be a troll. They were not at like 70, 80% fire Ryan Day after the season. They weren't. They were frustrated. But when I asked real questions, would you fire Ryan Day? Would you really do it? It's like 15%, right? So like that, that's a different world. The enthusiasm that is here now, I had sent out a survey before Bill O'Brien, the Bill O'Brien hire, before Caleb Downs transfer, before the Julian Sand transfer, that was mostly based off the retention of the NFL guys. They, I said, where are you right now? Enthusiasm for the program. One to 10. They were at a nine. It was like a 9.02. Wow. 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 They that's, were at a nine high. already. Yeah. Just keeping, just keeping Jack Sawyer and Denzel Burke and JT Tuimolo out and jo- Donovan Jackson and Trevion Henderson. Just that they were at a nine. Now you throw in 
the offensive coordinator hire, Caleb Downs, and Julian Sand. They're at a 10. People are like firing off messages to us that are like, send me another poll. Let me vote again. I'm a 10. I was going through stuff, Ari, and I'm giving it to you now. I didn't even give it to our people yet. That's how much I love you. Thank you. Like trying to figure, I think Ohio State in the history of the AP preseason poll, which dates back to 1950, they've been preseason number one nine times. They've been preseason number two nine times. So that's 18 times in whatever it is, 75 years. They're definitely going to be preseason one or two this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's going to be Ohio State and Georgia. are going to be the preseason one, two in some order. So now does this, like the discussion of where does this rank on the most anticipated Ohio State seasons ever? It's going to be high. It's going to be really high. Like off the national title in 14 into 15, high. Super softs win in 68, come back in 69 and 70, high. But like the Archie coming back off of Heisman, right, in year two and mm-hmm. 75, high. But like the enthusiasm for the program right now, considering it's a program that has lost three straight to Michigan, the enthusiasm because of the offseason is through the roof. That's crazy because I always just thought that the cloud would follow no matter what happened because eventually you can't win the offseason. But let me take people through um, because not everybody has Ohio State brain like you and I, Doug. Um, There were a lot of returning players on Ohio State's defense. Basically, their entire defense is coming back. Jack Sawyer's coming back. He had 48 tackles. I thought he played some of the best games that he played in his career there towards the end of the season. JT Tuimaloao, a former five-star prospect edge rusher, um, you know, is coming back. Denzel Burke, I think, was flirting with a first-round grade at cornerback, is coming back. Ty Hamilton, uh, 38 tackles and four and a half for less and, and two sacks as a interior defensive lineman. Uh, Jordan Hancock, uh, big, big, big talent with a Lathan, Lathan Ransom in the secondary. Returning defensive production percentage is 333 out of 79 tackles, which is 42%. Um, two out of the seven interceptions, 18 and a half out of 28 sacks, 66%. Uh, Emeka Egbuka, Trey Henderson, and Donovan Jackson on the offensive side coming back. Then you add Seon and uh, who probably isn't going to play, isn't going to play. Will Howard, no, yeah. uh, Quinshawn Jukins, um, and of course, Caleb Downs to that yep, mix. Downs, yep. so, yeah, yep. you know, you have so, so the, what I wanted to ask you here, Doug, is that Ohio State's strategy, and I think a lot of people, um, don't really understand this because, you know, you have to be recruiting at a certain clip to do so. But I, would it be fair to say that Ohio State's strategy is to recruit high school players and to plug holes on their roster through the portal as a need, but 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 seldomly? Yeah? Yes, but more aggressively so this offseason, but still generally, yes. So, yeah, the question is, I think that they took some luxury items this time that they haven't taken in the past. Like Quinchon yes. Judkins, I don't think was a necessity. Even Julian Sayan probably isn't a necessity. You already signed a five-star prospect at the quarterback position to bring in another one um, who basically is just a member of last year's class now um, who left Alabama after Nick Saban retired is another. But is Ohio State's philosophy shifting in your mind? Is this a one-year window where they feel like they need to fix the results on the field? Or is this a philosophical shift into how Ohio State's going to assemble their roster moving forward? I think it is a philosophical shift, not a philosophical abandonment of previous principles, but a more aggressive shift. You and I talked about this on Kings of the North top 35. That's just the thing I go by now. Top 35 guys who play for you in a season, Michigan and Washington were both at 27 high school guys, eight transfers this past season. Ohio state was at 32 high school guys, three transfers. So 
That's probably not enough. Now, I also think if you are at a point, and this is going to be a discussion this offseason for all of us, if you're at a point where you're expecting your top 35 guys to be 12 high school guys and 23 transfers, I don't think that's the way to do it. Like, I, I don't think that's the way you build a program. But the one, the one that was a big test a couple of years ago was when Eli Ricks was transferring from LSU, right? And he went to Alabama at corner. And Ohio State had some young corners, and they were interested in Eli Ricks, but they kind of decided in the end, we don't want to have him jump the line ahead of the young high school recruits that we have in the system. And there was some loyalty, right, to the high school guys who have been developing and again, I don't think they have abandoned that. But previously at Ohio State, you always talked about Justin Fields. That's a need. Who's going to be the quarterback to get him? Jonah Jackson from Rutgers on the offensive line was a great one-year ad for Ohio State. But it was really need. Quinchon Judkins is not really a need. Trevion mm-hmm. Henderson's back. Yeah, they needed to add some depth. But like that a luxury item is a great phrase by you. Will Howard is a need. They needed better quarterback play. Julian Sagan is not a need. That's a luxury item. So I so they are clearly expanding their purview and also the idea of, you know, somebody's going to jump the line ahead of you might be more like, sorry, but we've, we owe ourselves, the program, the fan base, everybody. We, we have to get the best players, even if it doesn't feel fair to some guys on the roster. And before, I think they were more interested in being fair. So it is kind of funny to me that Ohio State signed or hired, I should say, Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M athletic director who was formally introduced last week. And then they turned into Texas A&M over the weekend, it felt like. Um, Not really so much in the recruiting, but in the portal. Um, I know that this is a really tough discussion. And I think a lot of stuff, you know, behind closed doors and all that stuff. But NIL is a very tricky discussion point because some programs are wheeling and dealing. Um, some some more than others are out there, you know, getting players and, and engaging in that. Ohio State never really seemed to engage in that. Now, the, the players that produced on the team were certainly doing just fine. Uh, C.J. Stroud was wearing uh, a watch that I wish I could have one day uh, at the Heisman ceremony. He's doing OK when he was there, but they weren't in that realm. Do you what is your take on the new athletic director hire at Ohio State? And do you think that any of the temperaments that he illustrated from the program that he came from is going to change the way we think about NIL at Ohio State and the way that they employ that in their program, both in the high school ranks and in the transfer portal? So I do think Ohio State was very careful about not wanting to use NIL as a high school recruiting inducement. They were wary of that. They thought it might get him in trouble. Texas A&M was not wary of that. And frankly, like A&M, what A&M is doing is with high school recruits in NIL, and then they're transferring out, right? They they are not drawing in transfers. They are using NIL to get high school guys and then losing those guys. So Ohio State is still, this is a transfer discussion. This is a retention and transfer discussion with them with NIL, which I think is what they always wanted it to be. You can dispute whether that's the right way to do it or not. Maybe if they had been more aggressive with NIL the first time around, Caleb Downs would have gone to Ohio State instead of Alabama. Now, Ohio State's defense also got better, and that really mattered. So there's many things at play with Caleb Downs. But I do think just the impression, and I think we have to make there's an important distinction here. It's not just Ross Bjork. It's the president, Ted Carter, who only started on January 1st, came from Nebraska. He is aggressive as well. And in the opening news conference for Ross Bjork last week, That was the first time that we had seen Ted Carter in an an athletics situation. And they were both aggressive, progressive, talking about 
compensating players directly, collective bargaining, talking about the new world of college athletics, and they want Ohio State to be a leader. I think Gene Smith has been a very good athletic director for Ohio State for 20 mm -hmm. years, but he is a bit, I think he would admit this, part of the old guard of college sports. He, of all the things that Gene Smith has been progressive on, he's been re very reluctant on paying players directly, has not wanted to be there. I do think there was not reluctance, but caution around NIL. And I think it's a little bit, I don't want to say throwing caution to the wind, but the, the analogy, I went to a, a Ryan Day business luncheon in June of 2022, and I was the only media person there, and this became a national story when Ryan Day said he thought Ohio State needed $13 million to keep its roster and NIL. That set a number. That was one of the first times anybody set a number. But the the he was talking about it in context of retention. He was not talking about it in context of going out and paying high school recruits. He wanted to make sure Ohio State's guys weren't lured away by other people in the transfer portal, right? So they've wanted to be there in a specific way. I think they were slow. And Ryan Day said, if the speed limit's 55, it doesn't mean like you should go 55. Because if you go 55, a lot of people are going past you. So you want to go in the flow of traffic, but you don't want to get pulled over. That was his analogy back then. I think maybe for the first 18 months of NIL, Ohio State was going the speed limit, and now they're going in the flow of traffic and maybe is scooching it up a little bit. But simultaneously, for the first time, we're seeing some programs get pulled over on the NIL freeway. Right. So I, I think like a, a place like Ohio State would be like, hey, maybe we're going a little faster, but look, we were smart because those guys are over there pulling out their license and registration. That's why we didn't go as fast as we could have. I love you, man. <laughs> I love you. Can I stop the show to say that? I love uh, that's, too, a, that's, that's a really, really funny way of putting it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Lastly, Doug, I just wanted to ask you, um, Ryan Day is a hot-button issue on the internet, right? Um, and you more than anybody, in my opinion, do a great job of being respectful, but holding coaches accountable in news conferences. Um, I don't remember exactly what news conference it was, but after the season, I think you asked a question about, um, or, or after the Michigan game, you asked a question about his decision to try that field goal going into the half, which I thought yeah. was a very good question that needed to be asked. You've also asked about staff. You, you just hold the coach accountable, but can I ask you for your un- abated opinion about the job that Ryan Day has done and what you think about the Ohio State football program's performance, you know, both yeah. on and off the field under his guidance the last few years? Absolutely. And I, th I think the important thing here, and I think this is 
the, the, sometimes a thing I quibble with, and it happens at Ohio State, it happens other places too, is I don't think it's fair to always compare someone to the very best person as that best person changes. So I'll, I'll, I'll back into my answer by saying, I feel like one of the major conversations around college football the last couple of years was Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day. Do you agree with that? I, I agree with that, yeah. Like offensive guru, they were a, a young offensive coordinator who got promoted to succeed a big-time head coach, Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer. Ryan Day, we know, was hired in part because it worked with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Gene Smith talked to, talked to Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma athletic director. So it's very easy to compare them. And I think a lot of people along the way would have taken Lincoln Riley over Ryan Day, right? Oklahoma, even though their defenses weren't very good, getting to the playoff. Ryan Day was getting to the playoff, too. Neither of them getting winning national titles. Lincoln Riley not winning playoff games. Ryan Day at least won a playoff game, right? But I still think people would have taken Lincoln Riley. So, who would well, you take if I can today? interject there real quick. Yeah. yeah. He, his offenses were more fun to watch, too. I agree. I'm not... I, like, And it, that's I'm part not, of it. I'm not saying that anybody who would have taken Lincoln Riley over Ryan Day was wrong. Who would you take today? I don't think it's even a question. So, so we can't go... Sometimes it's like, hey, Ryan Day, he's no Lincoln Riley. You, USC... It implodes. They waste Caleb Williams is coming back from a Heisman year. They have to fire their defensive coordinator midseason when he should have done it in the offseason. Like Lincoln Riley has been a mess the last couple of years. So let's remember that context. Ryan Day needs to be better. He does. I think they they have not played their best game against Michigan. So that's the thing. In 21, I think that was Michigan with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Hassan Haskins. That was Michigan beating Ohio State. 22 and 23, I think it was more Ohio State beating itself. The number one thing Ryan Day has to do is make sure this team with this talent, ridiculous talent, plays its best game on Saturday against Michigan. There's no, there's no excuse. There's no dispute. That's the number one thing that matters. But I think the fact that he is giving up play calling, that he is getting rid of some of the young coaches on staff who were never qualified to be there, he's setting himself up to be a better head coach to motivate, to develop culture, to be involved on both sides of the ball. I thought that was a must. The fact that he did that, I think, is very encouraging. Is Michigan awesome? Yes. One of the, not a battle, but a thing I try to remind Ohio State people of, and I've, I think I did it all season, was Michigan's great. Like, it does not serve you as a fan to think that your rival stinks when your rival is actually good. Please understand how good Michigan was this year. Does Ohio State need to play better against Michigan? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Michigan was awesome. Ohio State was right there and should have found a way to win. So does Ryan Day need to be better? Yes. Has he been very good? Yes. As they've lost big games. I don't think he's like on the hot seat, but I think he needs to be better. Do you think he's been very good? I think he has been very good in some areas. I think he made multiple missteps in some of his coaching hires that I think did affect them, including on special teams and that special teams play has messed with them. They might beat Georgia if they get better special teams play. That was an unqualified guy down the hall hire on special teams. Never should have been hired. The quarterback play came back to bite him this year. That's a quarterback's coach who was not qualified for the job. Now it's Bill O'Brien, right? I do think, I think he's been very good. This is a cop-out answer. I think he's been very good 358 days of the year. And then the seven days of Michigan week, it hasn't been good enough, right? It's not. They, he does, they have not been at their best. But I think their talent, I think of their scheme, 
I think the hire of Jim Knowles, their de- this is a defense-led team now. The questions on this team are on offense. Who would have thought that? Mm-hmm. I think he's been very good. And I think it's not bad luck, but it's a reality. Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer played a lot of bad Michigan teams. A lot of bad Michigan. You covered it. You covered yeah. bad Michigan. No, I know. Michigan's very good. It's kind of bad luck when your rival's good. It's not an excuse, though. So I st- I would give Ryan Day like a probably like an A minus for his tenure, but I would be like must improve Michigan week, right? But I think I think he has the ability to do that. But also, it's time to go, baby. I'm going to do a, a dumb analogy because uh, sometimes I think I'm okay at them, and I want to. I think that it's impossible to get an A minus if you miss the portion of the test that might means the most. So, I mean, it's... It's like you have the essay portion at the end. You got red marks all over it. But I I don't disagree with you. The result is the result. And three straight losses is a lot. Like, I looked at, like, the rivalries in college football. There's not a ton of rivalries right now where any team has won three in a row. It's kind of, you know, you win two in a row, whatever, okay. But for the third loss this year, but I do feel like the part at the end is like you're breezing through the test, right? And it's like, man, I studied, I got this. And then you get to the last question and it feels like it's in a foreign language. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe how hard this essay question is. So you're like, I got 60 out of 60 on the multiple choice. And now I'm trying to hold on and just get like 21 out of 40 on the essay so I can pull a B. And Ari's like, I'm giving you six out of 40, man. You didn't beat Michigan. And Ryan Day's like, but I got down to the final minute. I got to the final minute. It's like, I don't, it, it's not right. I don't, I don't. If think you miss you the can, final question, all the other questions don't matter. Like that to me, the, that's the way their this season is where, works. This is where we, this is where we part ways, which yeah. is the definitive, like, if you're not first, you're last. It's the Ricky Bobbyization yeah. of America. And like, really? So, and I don't mean this. Like, yeah. let's, no, no, hit, let's hit just me do with it. it, man. Let's hit each other. <laughs> let's punch each other right in the face. That's why you're do here. I, do either of us host the best podcast YouTube show in America? The very best. Hmm. That's a tough one. I don't. I don't. No, I don't either. I, yeah, I, don't I don't host the best YouTuber podcast yes. in America. Does that mean I suck? Does that mean I should be fired? Does it mean I need to get better? Yes. Does it mean I'm terrible? Does it mean that like it's not acceptable? Does it mean that I can't produce good work a decent chunk of the year? Like that's. I just think that yes, they've lost to Michigan. Michigan is very good. They need to play better. I don't think that means like Ryan Day's a failure. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think the journey matters. A lot of Ohio, a lot of us picked Ohio State to be Mich- to beat Michigan this year because you thought, hey, they're doing the things they need to do to have that chance to do it. And we also yeah. underestimated Michigan because of their yeah. schedule, because of Connor Stallions. So, um, I just think like competing with the best and being really close is actually more of a plus than a minus. Because they didn't get the doors blown off, and it's like, yeah, they need to call a better play in the fourth quarter. They do, they do. But I don't think it like invalidates things where I don't know. Like if you're saying I don't care about the 60 out of 60 on the multiple choice, you got a two out of 40 on the essay question, and that's all that matters. I, I would say that. I'm just saying I don't matters. care. I don't care about Maryland. But I think what you just said there is um, a really nice segue to the next segment here, Doug, 
because four hours. Can we just go four hours? I know. It sucks. sucks. We'll we'll just do uh, after this. I'll call you on the phone and I'll talk to you. I'm on my way to a doctor's appointment after this. Um, But it's a nice segue to Michigan, because I think that in the context of Ohio State has failed um, or my opinions that I've expressed about what Ohio State should be and be accomplishing, we have underestimated Michigan. And I underestimated them more than anybody. Anybody listens to the show knows how much I underestimated them. But they have done something this year that I would have said coming into the year is impossible. I said it on the show. I've said it a million times. If you don't have X number of five-star prospects and top 100 players on your team, you cannot win the championship. But when I came on your show last week, you had a very enlightening discussion and taught me something about recruiting that I am going to steal from you. Like I have so many other things in the past. Um, But this concept of the top 35 players on your team. Now, I think it's very, very deep discussion, but Michigan did something both through the portal, through high school evaluation, and then through just winning big time recruiting battles for guys like Will Johnson and, and, and Donovan in the backfield that they put together a top 35 out of 85, the 35 guys who actually play that could probably go toe to toe or did go toe to toe with the best programs in America. What is your perception of how Michigan built itself? And then tell me, well, first, let me back up. Tell people the concept of your show, the North and why you're doing it and and how that's going to frame this discussion. So we, we started Kings of the North with the idea of like being the king of the North, that like you can be very good in your context in college football. And just because you might lose to Alabama or Georgia or USC or LSU or Texas or a school in Florida doesn't mean that you're bad because the sport's different. And I think the defining characteristic of college football is North-South geography. And if you don't know what I mean, I don't think you follow college football. We don't have to say it. You kind of know what the deal is, right? It's just a little different. So I think being the best in your context, sometimes the conversation around Northern football is like, oh, and it beat Georgia. And it's like, is that really for real? That's all there is. There's there's 50 kids within a, a an hour's drive of Georgia's campus that anybody in the North would die for. There's like, there's three kids within an hour's drive of Ohio State's campus. They're the same. So we have to, I think it's valuable to contextualize, evaluate, hold accountable, establish levels of success, enjoy the sport in a Northern way. And I don't think there's been a Northern culture to college football. I think there's been a, we know what Southern college football culture is. God bless Southern college football culture. It's celebrated. It has shows. You know it. Let's claim it for us. Why can't we have that? We do have that. So put on your hoodie, go eat a brat, Freeze your butt off at a tailgate <laughs> with your friends, and let's talk about the mess, the best of Northern college football. And the minute we started doing it, Michigan and Washington played in the national title game when we had had two Northern national titles in the previous twenty five years, and they were both were Ohio State. So, yeah, Northern football matters, and we're gonna we're gonna define it, embrace it, contextualize it, and celebrate it on Kings of the North. Which is funny because I began my professional career, the first decade of it, being a northern person, and I'm a good hoodie and brat guy. Yeah. Um, But I do think that it is an interesting discussion because there are what? You counted 28 teams that you guys count as the north? Yes. Yes. And how did you – it's just based on geography or is there there a line? (laughs) And I need to define it uh, a little more distinctly. It's kind of like does it snow? 
And it's kind of, to me, it's like, does weather help you in recruiting? If you are overcoming weather in recruiting, you're in the North. If weather is helping you in recruiting, you're in the South. And, I, and, and that's a shorthand. We have some border schools that we have to discuss. That's like Tech. Louisville, Missouri, Kansas, Kansas State, and Virginia Tech are the five border schools that we may accept. We'll have USC and UCLA as like honorary members of the North because they're in the Big Ten, but it's not the same. Like Southern California, you're winning on weather there. The rest of it, it's the whole Big Ten. It's Washington. Well, Washington and Oregon are now, but Utah and Colorado and Iowa State and BYU and West Virginia and Cincinnati and Boston College and Syracuse and Pitt and all those schools that you know, it's kind of like, right? censorship like it's it's you know it when you see it right are you northern yeah man yeah i don't know walking what, around i, I don't know what is December. like dallas dallas when it's when it's below 20 degrees in dallas the entire state shuts down nobody no, can i know drive. it's There's i know no it's electricity. South. if your electricity goes out when it's, when it's below 20. 32 <laughs> degrees you're not in the north I, you know I what didn't happened? mean that it's the north i meant like what is it on the map because it's also not the no, south well, but but it's but it is the South. Well, partly it chose to be the South when you went to the SEC. When 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 Texas yeah, okay. and Oklahoma went to the SEC, but Dallas they threw in. It's the South. I think it's the South. Now, okay, like, I live in the South. So there really is a third region, which is like the 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 Texas, like Arizona, New Mexico region, right? But the weather's warm, so tough noogies. You're in okay. the South. Yeah. Okay. So what we did on Kings of the North, and I thought it was an important discussion for context on our show is we discussed these 28 programs and we decided to use Michigan as the benchmark because as Doug outlined, Ohio State has won national championships from the North, but they have done it in a Southern way. They have recruited at a very high level. Um, They've spent a lot of money on their coaches. Their facilities are insane. Their stadium is huge. They they are more like an SEC program than the typical Northern program. Michigan, I think, is the golden standard of what the majority of teams situated in the North would like to be. Now, that's not to say that Michigan hasn't recruited well, that Michigan doesn't have a big stadium and nice facilities and a great education. But Michigan does not recruit at the same level as Ohio State, which thus, I think, is the benchmark that separates the Georgias, Alabamas of the world, as you've heard me say a million times. So what Michigan did... They won maybe 10 or 15 crucial recruiting battles for five-star top 100 type caliber kids. Um, Many of them were hits, including J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback, Donovan Edwards, the running back who ran all over the place in the national championship game, Will Johnson, the five-star cornerback uh, on the other side of the football. But also they've done a very good job of keeping kids in the program. Mm -hmm. They've gotten a very good job of evaluating and plugging holes on their roster, but they were a very talented team. The concept of the top 35, Doug, that you mentioned earlier, Michigan's not going to ever have the same talent at number 70 out of 85 on the roster as as an Ohio State or Alabama. It's never going to happen, but they still might have the 15th best player on their team might be better than Ohio State's or Alabama's 15th best player. How did Michigan do what it did, winning in the national championship, proving me and many others wrong, and who else in the North with the perfect circumstances could match that and win a national championship. So I do think it does still start with elite recruiting in specific spots, right? And like, to your point, like JJ McCarthy getting a five-star and nobody owned the JJ McCarthy story better than you about what that meant to Michigan, that Ohio state picked Kyle McCord instead, and that Michigan was there waiting to grab JJ McCarthy. 
he didn't win the Heisman. He didn't throw 400 yards in the national title game, but that was a defining thing, man. So you do have to win those battles. You have to have like a top tier. Then they made a big deal last year, right? Of keeping some of those guys around for another year. Blake Quorum, Cornelius Johnson at receiver, Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan on the offensive line. That was a huge deal. So, but it is keeping talent. It's not just experience. Washington was really, Washington had some sixth year guys who didn't play much in, until their fifth or sixth year, right? This was, these were good Michigan players that decided to stay. So again, I think it is one of the things we defined is competing with really good fourth year players. And that allows you to compete against teams who are based on great third year players. Right. And I think that's a, that's a different great third year players. Marvin Harrison jr. Is a great third year player, right? Who's going to the NFL. So you don't keep guys like that, but you have a lot of fourth year players that you, you keep around. So it's high level recruiting, Keep the really good players for maybe a year longer than expected, and then really smart portal stuff. Ladarius Henderson at left tackle, Drake Nugent at center, AJ Barner at tight end, Ernest Hausman at linebacker, Josh Wallace from UMass as a starting corner. They supplemented five starters. You know, again, their eight eight guys were transfers for them. So that keeping guys, NIL helps with that. Good for the North. Smart transfer additions. Those are the two most important things. And the other part is you smash down the South. The elite Southern teams aren't quite as elite because NIL in recruiting is maybe they're still getting nine five stars, but they're not getting 13 maybe. And that makes a difference too. So the top comes down in the South. That next tier in the North comes up. And the result is now Michigan can play with anybody. And yeah, we went through it. Notre Dame, can Notre Dame do it the Michigan way? We think so, right? Can Penn State do it? Yeah, we think so. Could Wisconsin and Nebraska at their very best do it? Yeah, we think that's what Matt Rule and Luke Fickle want to do. Can Michigan State with Jonathan Smith? Well, they did it once upon a time with Mark D'Antonio. Can they do that again? Yeah, we think they can do that. Oregon's probably a cut above. Oregon might be more like Ohio State. But could Washington get it back together with Jed Fish and do this again? We think they could do it. Could Utah with Kyle Whittingham? We're claiming them in the South. They will be the best program in the Big 12. They can do it. The best, best, best of Deion Sanders at Colorado. Can they do it? Maybe they're again, they're maybe more like Ohio State, but they're it opens the doors for a lot more Northern teams. Because if you had said to those Northern teams, you got to be Bama, you got to be Georgia. Well, what? We can't. Okay. Now you got to be Michigan. Oh, yeah. It's still excellent, but we actually have a chance to do that. Yeah, I think that it's interesting, too, that Colorado's part of that mix because they don't recruit high school at all. Um, but they might be able to do it a third way, which is an exciting Northern yes. discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a few programs that I wanted to throw at you because I think the Notre Dames, the Penn States, the Washingtons are obvious. But I, I mentioned these on your show, and I thought, you know, Michigan State was a really good one, maybe more obscure, but they have beaten Ohio State, and not just any Ohio State, the best iterations of Ohio State in the past. Absolutely. They beat the 2015 team that had more players on it than any, any other team, I think, uh, in recent memory, uh, maybe ever. So Michigan State certainly could do so. Um, the two wild cards that I pitched to you on your show uh, were Maryland, if they got the right coach who could mm -hmm. activate the DMV, like theoretically they have signed five-star players before. Could they sign enough high school talents to get to a place where they can bolster their roster with enough talent where transfers can come in and get them over the top? And if they can't, what is your baseline recruiting ranking general area that a team would have to recruit to be Michigan in order to be in this discussion point out of high school? 
Yeah, probably top 25, top 30, right? I mean, again, you're not going to be a team that recruits you the the 70th best recruiting class. You're not going to get there just with retention and just with transfer stuff. So I think Maryland's an interesting example. Like even the, you know, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, that's a relationship that Mike Loxley brought him in as a transfer. Great quarterback play for multiple years. Now they have MJ Morris transferring from NC, NC State. That's kind of, that's a, pretty big time quarterback dude that's a good get for maryland you know they they had like that group rakeem jarrett and uh, a couple of the guys at receiver a couple years ago that they got a couple of those guys but it never like it didn't holistically all come together in the way that it did for michigan so i do think like one of the things that michigan's done so well is like the supplemental guy develop your own offensive line guys right like they had probably the best interior offensive line in the country but then you're adding you're adding some smart transfers so like Maryland's a little more of a stretch to get there, but I I could see it. And part of it's going to be like then Maryland has to step up with NIL. So then when you have a third round pick who's on the border, of, I'm Can't not going to go yeah. or not. You got to keep him. You've got to keep him because if you're Maryland, you have a good a guy that's that good. I'm a third round pick here, man. Like like one more year here, try to be a first round pick. But here's one point five million dollars to keep you in school. I think that's that's a requirement for schools like this. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Doug, I miss you, bud. And I appreciate you. We kept you for 45 so minutes. It's not enough. It's not Spies enough time. I wanted, to, I wanted to grab your throat during some of the the Ryan Day stuff, but I think it's a yeah. fair and reasonable but discussion. And grab it. I also think, grab it now. Grab you know, it. Oh, I, I I, no, here's what I do think. I think that you consume the sport the way you want to consume it. And listen, I write columns. I have opinions. We do the show. But just because I think something or is my viewpoint doesn't mean that you have to consume the sport or view it the same way. Like losing to Michigan three times in a row could be a completely inutterable abject failure and you could hate the coach forever for doing it. Or you could say what you said and both people I think would be right based on how they view it. So um, I think that Ryan Day does not get an A uh, for that, in my opinion. And I think that he made a A lot of important a A minus. He doesn't get, he doesn't get the word, the letter a uh, (laughs) anywhere near it. Um, I think that he is making the necessary changes that he had to make that he should have made last year. And I think when you're late and if it costs you a national championship, which it might've because Ohio state could have won the national title this year, theoretically had they beaten Michigan. Um, That is a huge mark against you on your, I'll give him passing grade. I am nowhere near the fire him bandwagon but i don't think he gets to like walk he doesn't his mom doesn't get the honor roll bumper sticker uh if i were the principal or or teacher of that class but doug i think that your concept of the northern football um demographic is really awesome i listen to your show regularly i'm not just saying that i really really enjoy it um if you have followed my past and have heard doug and i who shared a podcast in 2015 for two or three years and you're here to to relive the glory days thanks for being here and if you're just seeing Doug for the first time somehow, he's one of the most gifted minds in college football media, um, one of the best writers and, and a great mentor. And his show is certainly worth a listen at his Kings of the North uh, in the podcast feed. And of course, on YouTube, where if you like seeing his hands gestures, because like he's yeah. he's animated. Um, Doug, thanks so much for ha- uh, coming on. And hopefully this is uh, far more regular of an occurrence moving forward. Oh. Would love it. I I do it every week, man. We should be back and forth if we could. But you know, I love you. Congratulations on all your success, and it's just a joy to hang out and talk ball with you. Yes. All right. Thanks so much, Doug. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, now we're going to the GOAT of the Big Ten, Scott Docterman. How are we doing today? You know, I'm doing all right. It's been an interesting couple of weeks, but other than that, uh, things are well. Looking forward to uh, seeing you some some one of these years in person, Ari. Yeah, yeah, I love having you here, Scott, and I appreciate it. So the reason why we have you on the show today is did um, – I am forgetting a name and it will come – oh, did Caitlin Clark flop? No, I mean, you know, if you want, if you, Scott, I promise. All right, I was going to say I've I've had my own little bouts over this, but uh, you know, every everything. I mean, I'm like, uh, you know, you've been through it on Twitter when I can make a joke and you think I'm being serious. Um, Yes, Caitlin Clark was uh, Ohio State. They were at Ohio State on Sunday playing a basketball game, and as she was coming off the court, an Ohio State fan was storming the court, and they ran into each other and. It is a funny Twitter dispute right now about whether or not she flopped or was actually got the wind knocked out of her. Uh, she is one of the best basketball players I've ever seen play. Super entertaining and was really cool about it afterwards. Um, but there's a lot happening in the Big Ten. We're going to talk about Iowa first, but then we're going to get into the Big Ten hierarchy. We just had Doug LaMarissa on. He was talking about the northern part of the sport um, in terms of what Michigan did and who could duplicate that. I want to talk a little bit to you about your perceived Big Ten hierarchy, and then I guess we're going to play a game that I'm probably going to get smoked in. Um, which is naming obscure receivers until one person loses. And I got to tell you, I couldn't even remember Caitlin Clark's name for 30 seconds. You know how that's going to go for me. I'm going to choke. I'm going to choke. But first, (laughs) the biggest story or one of the biggest stories of the weekend, Scott, is five-star offensive tackle Caden Proctor, who started all uh, 12 or whatever of Alabama's games this year, um, has transferred back to Iowa. Now, he's from Iowa. The recruiting story of choosing Alabama was a huge, huge discussion point in terms of Iowa losing on a five-star kid that was in-state, but they got him back. Um, you wrote a really good story about it over the weekend. Scott, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, this was uh, this is ultimately the, the prodigal son returns home. I mean, if you want to go with that route, because – he, he grew up an Iowa fan. I mean, he started going to the to the campus when he was in eighth grade. He wore number 74 because of uh, Tristan Wirfs, who you know plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, but that was his number at Iowa. He'd been on campus dozens of times, committed to Iowa in the summer of 22, uh, did take a visit to Alabama, and then came back and decided, you know what, I'm shutting it all down. I'm going on Iowa's visit, and then, and then he committed. 
for about four to five months, everything was fine. Uh, then he got a little bit itchy, and that's understandable. You look at the offense that year, and you went, eh, I don't know. And and you get a little wanderlust, I suppose. He went to Oregon, kind of didn't tell anybody, and, and took a trip there. And then he left Iowa at the altar only a couple of days before signing day. And it turned into what, what you'd expect. I mean, a five-star from Iowa Grew up an Iowa fan, decides, eh, I'm going to go to Alabama and be one of the many five stars that Alabama gets. They were the number one class in the country. Iowa doesn't get those guys very regularly. So having one in their own backyard at a position of need for this program was was a killer. And a lot of fans vented. His family vented. The smart thing was, and this is probably the lesson that needs to be learned by schools like Iowa, but everybody in, in college football is, don't burn your bridges. You know, they were magnanimous on his way out. They wished him well. Um, Tyler Barnes, the the directing recruiter directing recruiting director, you know, even in his press conference on signing day, he just said, Yeah, it stinks. It stinks. We give ourselves the 24 hour rule just like we do when we lose a game. Um, but we wish him well. We think highly of him, that all that. And he went and signed at Alabama and you know, enrolled early. Then played 14 games. Uh, didn't play necessarily well, but he was a true freshman starter at left tackle in the SEC and went to the playoff and had some good games and some mediocre games. Uh, then Nick Saban left, and that provided him the opportunity to rethink his uh, situation. And he was homesick. He had a lot of fa- he has all of his family lives in central Iowa. Uh, his girlfriend attends uh, Creighton and plays softball there. And um, wanted a chance to come back, to come back to Iowa. And because even though the fans, you know, kind of set everything ablaze, the, the staff did not. And so he decided to come back to Iowa. And, and then the, the, the additional part of it, which is kind of turned into more of an uproar is did Iowa tamper? And one of the interesting things was a tweet that Tyler Barnes sent out. I think it was after week two. Uh, somebody somebody tweeted that, oh, Iowa fans must be loving the, all these struggles for Caden Proctor. And and um, Tyler Barnes just said, no, we're not. We think highly of him. He's going to do well. We've got his back, all that kind of thing. And then uh, Caden mentioned it on Saturday at the Iowa men's basketball game. And that's immediately turned into the, the NCAA needs to throw the book at Iowa for tampering. And really all it was was some words of encouragement in, on Twitter. Scott, in terms of Iowa's football program, a lot has been made of the offense, right? We know this. Can you just speak to the gravity of getting one of the best young players? I know he had his struggles. I know it's an offensive line position. It's not going to be throwing the ball or catching it. But to get one of the premier pieces in the portal on the offensive side of the ball, what it means to Iowa's program as they try to retool this offseason and and try to get things back on track offensively? It's significant. I mean, in 2020, Ari, they averaged 32 points a game and almost 4.7 yards per carry. And by the end of the year, we're one of the better teams in the country. And it was because they had an outstanding left tackle. And when they ran zone, he murdered people. Now he was also uh, the starting left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams and Alaric Jackson. They haven't had anybody like him you know, or like Caden Proctor, for that matter, since he left and went to the NFL. And what they've struggled on, you know, containing the edge and blocking, but they've really struggled in running zone, which is what they want to do, what they want to major in. Caden Proctor gives them that ability to not only be able to, uh, 
you know, defend against elite defensive ends, but also to run outside zone, the, the stretch, the slant. And if they can do that effectively, it will take pressure off the passing game. And when you look at Iowa this year, every all five of their starters from this from the season opener um, up front are back. But now that means you insert Caden Proctor, you shuffle the deck a little bit, and in an offensive line that matters a whole hell of a lot. Because now if you bring your le- your three year starter at left tackle and move him into guard, and the other guys get better, then you've got a pretty good offensive line. And then you've got one. Un- Probably one of their most critical injuries was to Luke Lachey, Jim Lachey's son, who's one of the mm-hmm. best tight ends in the country, broke his leg in the third game. He's returning for his next year. So then you've got and, – and you're tied for your leading receiver was a true sophomore who barely played the year before as a, as a tight end. So they have six guys who have um, double-digit starts returning on the offensive line and two tight ends that have a lot of experience. So then it just comes back to the other parts of the thing, which is – do they have a quarterback can it, or, and or can they keep one healthy? What are they going to do at wide receiver? And then ultimately, what are they going to do at offensive coordinator? Because if they can run the ball with this defense, because almost everybody returns, you know, they were able to bring back eight sixth-year players this year, then, then they're in pretty good shape to compete in the Big Ten. Lastly, Scott, before we get into some Big Ten hierarchy stuff, um, Beth Getz finally was hired as the athletic director there. I know she was the interim athletic director for a while there, um, had to make some pretty tough decisions as it pertained to uh, Kirk Ferentz and uh, an unnamed offensive coordinator that we're not going to talk about right now. Um, what, what does this mean for both Iowa's football program, but the entire university? And then also, too, can you take us a little bit into the offensive coordinator search and where the things stand with uh, with Iowa in that in that regard? Well, with the OCE, that thing is never going to end. I think we're going to wait until fall camp and they're just going to magically anoint somebody. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But I, I, I was like, like what? <laughs> no. I was like, what are you talking about? No, you got me back. You got me not wondering if you were joking or not. <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago, it, I was told multiple times by multiple people inside that it's Paul Christ's if he wants it. Former Wisconsin coach. Ultimately, about a week ago, he decided, nah, I, I want to stay in Texas and help uh, mold Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers. And and, and I guess that, that's his prerogative. But it kind of sent Iowa back to square one when it comes to, uh, you know, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, what they're going to do with OC. So they're looking at some of the NFL guys that, that have just been released over the last week or so. Um, checking there. What I've been told is it's going to probably be finalized by the end of this week. The names, they're fleeting. It's really its really tough to figure out and keep my eyes on it. But I'll, I'll get something here probably by the end of the day or tomorrow as far yeah. as somebody there. But, you mentioned uh, Joe Philbin in the past, and there's some rumors yeah. out there about uh, Chip Kelly potentially being, uh, uh, I don't know, all these crazy rumors out there. But could you imagine Chip Kelly at Iowa? No. <laughs> Can we just do it? Can we just imagine it for a minute? Let's imagine it then, Ari. But <laughs> what, what, what does that look like to you if, if it, in this fake made-up world of it not happening? I think that's probably when uh, Kirk Ferentz goes in to, to ride the the unicycle or something inside and 
tool around a bunch of plates. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can't imagine those two guys, you know, being in the same room communicating on a day by day basis. Yeah. But, yeah. But you know, there was there was a rumor from the very beginning about Scott Frost, and I'm like, I that will never happen in a million years. And people are calling me on radio shows in Iowa. Well, so it looks like there's a there's a frost warning coming to Iowa City. I'm like. I don't know what who you're listening to, but uh, that'll never happen in a yeah. million years. But uh, but Beth, um, she is she's a different person for that role than they've ever had. I mean, obviously she's the first female to oversee the entire department, but you know she's only the fourth athletic director I was had since 1970, um, and they've had some really good ones. I mean, Bump Elliott, you know, Hall of Famer at Michigan, hired all their great coaches back in the 70s and 80s. You know, from Hayden Fry to Dan Gable to Lute Olson and Tom Davis. And and then after that was Bob Bowlesby for 15 years. And then Gary Barta uh, retired after 17. And that's been kind of an up and down uh, era. But what she's done for football is now you know, instead of football just kind of getting a blank check and kind of being its own fiefdom, she's brought them under the the hood. And they're, they're going to have to comply to what she wants them to do, which is you know, that was a pretty gutsy, tough move as an interim AD. Now, she, the president was instrumental in making it happen, but nobody's really checked the football program before. And she was able to do that with um, sending an offensive coordinator out the door. And, uh, you know, I, I think when it comes to NIL, she has a great relationship with the collective. Last week when, you know, everything started looking up when it came to Caden Proctor, um, they went on a a spree and they raised a hundred thousand dollars in in a day, and, and that's that's pretty significant because it was more grassroots than just having one donor do it. Although in the fall they did have a couple of donors pledge for every million that they would donate a million. Um, and and her outlook on student athlete welfare and and paying players is completely different than what they've had in the past. So I, I think she's a she's a transform transformational figure who will do a lot of good things at Iowa. All right, Scott, let's go a five minutes or so on the new Big Ten hierarchy. Obviously, we know the top tier is some combination of Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, Penn State, and Washington. Um, those are the upper echelon teams historically. Um, the new Big Ten is coming. We have uh, two teams from the Big Ten. The new Big Ten played for a national championship next year. Um, but who do you think, uh, based on your immensely beautiful and big brain, in the Big Ten has a chance to compete or be up in that top tier on the field coming up this season um, that doesn't in that group right now? Yeah, I guess I would kind of split it in a little bit um, in a couple of different ways. I'm probably less bullish on Oregon and Washington being able to maintain this level of, of success that they've achieved the last couple of years, specifically last year. I do think USC is more than capable of rejoining that fold. I would still kind of put it in, um, you know, category one hierarchy. Ohio State dropped the hammer this this uh, portal season. The players that they got in the portal – um, the, they are the favorite to me in college football, not just in the big 10, but, but I think, you know, you put Ohio state, you put Michigan, put Penn state, and I'd still put USC in there because even though, I mean, it was a, they're a year removed from, from almost being there. They won 11 games. And then I would put kind of in that next tier, which is when they're good, they're really good. And that's Oregon, Washington, 
Um, and I also put Penn State, by the way, in, the, in tier one. But Oregon, if Washington. If I didn't say USC in the tier one, too, at the beginning, I excuse me, that was an unintentional oversight, but continue. Okay. But, yeah. you know, there, there are schools <laughs> that we've overlooked for a long time, you know, and I would say, you know, Wisconsin's kind of been on a down it, down slope. Iowa has been on a more of an upslope winning wise, but they've done it so ugly that people hate even acknowledging them. Um, I think Michigan State's very capable. I think Nebraska is capable if they can get off off the mat. And so, you know, I would put probably those six schools in that next kind of tier, which is Oregon, Washington, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, Nebraska, all as very capable of joining in individual seasons the, the the main four being competitive, going to the championship game, going to the playoffs, winning a playoff game. Um, it just kind of depends on how their seasons come together. Then after that, it, it gets a little bit more, it gets mixed. I mean, UCLA is kind of, I kind of refer to them as, as the, the Maryland of the West coast. They get mm-hmm. talent. They, they're, you kind of, every year you expect them that, you know, one year, Josh Rosen's out there throwing darts and beating teams at the end of the game. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, they're four and eight. What happened? You know, Maryland. Yeah, right, right. Maryland starts four and oh, five and oh, they're killing teams. And, you know, I saw it firsthand. They were four and oh, and, and, uh, Iowa beats them 51 to 17. You know, they just, those, those teams, Minnesota, Illinois from time to time, Purdue from time to time. Um, you know, they all have those, you know, and Northwestern too. They all have those seasons where you're thinking, ah, eh, they could maybe put it together once and be a competitive team. But to be a championship caliber, playoff caliber, upper echelon team year in and year out, that's probably not realistic. So, and then, you know, finally, you know, like an Indiana, Rutgers, it's going to take a while for them to have any kind of staying power because they've had individual moments and seasons. I think Ray Shiano is a really good coach, um, but can he get them past six or seven wins in a season? That's, that's going to be really tough because, you know, going into this last year, everybody's always said about Rutgers and Maryland. It's like, ah, once they get out of the East, they'll be fine. Well, hell Rutgers only won four games against the West in 10 years. So it's not like when they play, you know, a Wisconsin or an Iowa, that it's going to be magically easier. I mean, they got, they got beat by both teams this year. So I think this is a, you know, if I was to tier it, I would put those four in the upper tier. As I said, Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state and USC, I would put, Oregon, Washington, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, and Nebraska in the next tier because they're capable, and then everybody else kind of after that. I'm leaving the the area <laughs> of the show because he put Oregon in the second tier, and I don't want to be associated with that. Okay. <laughs> it scares me. He clips stuff. Cam, the producer, clips stuff, and it goes on the internet. Um, uh, Oregon, Oregon, Oregon is, I think, in my opinion, that's the one thing I would push back on Scott and unquestionably top tier. They are recruiting and have the NIL there to be a a very good football team um, into the future. And I I would buy stock in them. But other than that, I think that you're 100 percent on Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you, and then we'll get into our little game. Please don't embarrass me. And if you're not sure what the game is, I didn't know if I did a good enough job. Uh, teasing it at the beginning, but we are going to do the obscure wide receiver game where him and I are going to go back and forth. Um, Steady E69 on Twitter said, sorry, babe, I can't come over tonight. Me and the boys are naming obscure wide receivers in the group chat again. Scott and I are going to try to name some obscure college receivers back and forth and see who can go longer before 
eventually cracking. I choke uh, in games like this, so I think Scott will win, but it'll be fun. Um, lastly, wanted to ask you about the Big Ten here. Michigan is the defending national champions, had one of the best seasons in recent memory, finished completely undefeated, undisputed. All those words uh, were earned. The question I have for you is with Jim Harbaugh potentially or probably leaving for the NFL at some point, um, a lot of the talent walking out the door that was part of this national championship team, including their quarterback. Uh, what do you view Michigan in terms of staying power in that top tier? And how does their future look to you? I think they can, they will fluctuate a little bit more than say Ohio state would, because I think this is where you, you know, your expertise comes in and they just don't necessarily recruit at the one, two, three, four level, the way everybody else does. And Jim Harbaugh was able to get them up there. But but remember, until this recent stretch, the last three years, they were good, not great. I mean, 2020 was a complete disaster. But but throwing that season out, even the years before that, they would they lost a lot to Ohio State. Can they sustain upper-level talent at all those key spots? J.J. McCarthy was the first legitimate NFL quarterback that he's had. I mean, he's by far the best one that they've had. You know, they had great offensive lines and they've supplemented them. You know, even the years where, you know, there were won the Joe Moore award, what, a couple of years ago. And then they're able to get Drake Nugent and Ladarius Henderson out of the, out of the portal. And, and can they consistently do that with that style of play? Um, it's going to take a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit tougher. I think you look at Ohio state, the fact that it recruits it, you know, it's one, two, or three every single year and and plays, um, you know, its defense now is so much better under Jim Knowles than it's been in years. And, the, the you know, really this year the the come down was, was quarterback. And if they can, you know, they've t- taken some pretty damn talented young quarterbacks in the last day or two. But um, I think overall – Michigan has the potential to to be a competitive team in the Big Ten to get to the playoff and win it um, once in a while and be in the playoff, say, three or four every five years. But I think Ohio State still has more lasting power. I know that that's different than this three-year run, um, but you're going to have to look more globally. And I think globally it's about athletes in space, and I think that's probably where Ohio State will – excels a little bit and USC has the potential to excel. All right, Scott, it's game time. Are you ready? Yeah. And by the way, you're right about Oregon. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. I appreciate that. All right. We're going to start. And I don't know. It just depends on what you think is obscure. I'm just going to name names that come to my head. And if it doesn't count, it doesn't count. They're all going to be pretty good. Like it's not like the NFL where you have a guy who's had four career games or something, but we're going to do our best. Um, The rules are, we get three strikes. We have to go back and forth. I think you get three three or five seconds. If you pass, then it's a strike. The first person to three strikes loses. Um, and when somebody is out, whoever has the most points ends up winning. Okay? All right. Sounds good. And I don't know if you have a cheat sheet, but this is a no cheater. Ready? Okay. I'm going to go first. Okay. And I'm going to land on Ohio State because of, of my, uh, my expertise. Okay. Anthony Gonzalez. Dwayne Bates. Dane Sanzenbacher. <laughs> from Ohio State. Um, mm-hmm. Manny Hazard. Limus Swede. Ah, Texas. Chris Penn. Charles Rogers. He's not really obscure, but he's very no. good. He was very good at Michigan State and very bad with the Detroit Lions. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Quintess Cephas. Jeremy Macklin. 
Mm, yeah, mighty Mizzou. Um, let's go with Tim Dwight. Laquan Treadwell. Uh-huh. He should have stayed in Big Ten country instead of going to West, <laughs> I think. You know, that would probably been uh, better. Um, let's say, um, oh, um, oh, his name was on the tip of my tongue, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with somebody else. Uh, Diggs. Stefan Diggs. Uh, Tavon Austin. You know, he might be, I, I hate to interrupt, but he might be one of the great college players that never really panned out at the next Yeah, level. yeah, he he was the, the peak of the video game era. Yeah, exactly. Everybody wanted to be Tavon Austin. Isaiah Williams. Muhammad Sanu. Ooh, I like that. Um, from Rutgers. Uh, let's go with, uh, let's see. Oh, I had um, Xavier Hutchinson. Marquise Lee. Marquise Lee. Okay. JJ Stokes. Jordan Shipley. Did I say that? <laughs> Jordan Shipley from Texas? Uh, yeah. I already <laughs> named it. Oh, Lima Swede was the other Texas. Okay, that yeah. didn't go. Well, nobody failed, at least. But uh, <laughs> that if you have other, uh, as you're listening on, other names that popped in your head while playing that game. It'd be awesome if you tweeted at us. I think we both won because nobody tapped out. Yeah. Uh, I was getting to the end of my rope. I was trying to think as you were going. It's a hard game. Um, yeah. But you, the thing that I loved about you, Scott, is that everybody I named, you know, who it was and where they played and their story. And that's why you are the encyclopedia of college football and one of the best sports writers that we have at The Athletic. So, Scott, I appreciate you coming on. Um, if you missed the first segment and are just joining us, we had Doug Maurice from Kings of the North on the show to kick things off. It was a very Northern themed episode um, because the South gets most of the attention and it's good to talk about the North a little bit more. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for, for joining us and Doug, thank you. If you're listening back for your time, always appreciate it. Always be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or if you listen to your podcast, uh, please help the show by dropping a five-star review, subscribe to the YouTube channel, leave a review, call the until Saturday line at 316-462-9852 we we will be back later in the week with our second episode. We have a new two show week cadence. Uh, we'll be going every Monday for Tuesday, and then we will be recording on Thursdays moving forward. So uh, stick with us. We'll have all of your college football needs uh, here in the until Saturday feed. And thanks to everybody who joined live and listening on the podcast form. Certainly appreciate you. That was the latest edition of until Saturday.